I thank God for our musicians and for all who have led us in worship today. I thank God for all of you who are here in person and those of you who are worshiping with us online. I want to remind you all that we have a special Sunday coming up. It's next Sunday, August the 7th. It's a special day in the life of our congregation because uh, my good friend, Reverend Amos DeSasa, a wonderful pastor and excellent preacher, will be our guest preacher in both our 9 o'clock well service and our 11 o'clock sanctuary service next Sunday. I really encourage you to come out and hear my dear friend Amos. I'll be presiding at the Lord's table as we share the bread and the cup next week. And then next Sunday evening at 6 o'clock, uh, we have scheduled a special worship at the river in which we're going to have river baptisms. And we are now up to 11 people scheduled to be baptized. I thank God for that wonderful news. And if you're worshiping with us at home or worshiping with us here today and you're interested in getting baptized, please contact us soon. and. Let us know if you'd like to be baptized in the river next Sunday at 6 o'clock. We're in a sermon series called Head Scratchers, Jesus' Surprising Stories. We're looking at the parables Jesus told as an integral part of his preaching and teaching ministry. Today, we're going to look at what are sometimes called the twin parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. I'll read Matthew 13, 44 through 46 from the New Revised Standard Version. And I've changed the sermon title. The sermon title is going to be Discovering the Kingdom. These are the words of Christ. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Many of Jesus' parables are about the kingdom of heaven. The Greek phrase can also be rendered the rule of heaven, the reign of heaven, or the dominion of heaven. Jesus preached about it all the time. He said, the kingdom of heaven has come near. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He said, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
That's what the kingdom of heaven is. The realm where God's will is done. Yet it's too marvelous, too mysterious, and too multifaceted to be flattened into a formula. So Jesus offered various narrative descriptions of it. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. He said it's like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour. He said it's like a king who was settling accounts with his servants, like a landowner going out to hire laborers for his vineyard, like a ruler who gave a great wedding banquet. And in today's text, he said the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure someone found. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. While these twin parables differ from each other in certain respects, they also feature similarities. In both stories, someone unexpectedly finds an item of tremendous value and gives up everything he has in order to acquire it. As we view these two parables side by side, I want to suggest that there is a pattern of the kingdom common to both. The first man finds hidden treasure. This is more than a, a $10 bill tucked into the pocket of the shorts you wore last week. As nice as that is to come across, this is bona fide buried treasure. We might think of buried treasure as a movie motif, but it was part of real life in ancient Palestine. Bible scholars note that before banking systems were secure and widespread, it was not unusual to bury treasure. For example, when an invading army threatened, people would bury their most precious possessions before they fled in hopes of returning one day to retrieve them. Sometimes they would put their valuables in a jar and bury it in a field. Thus, it was eminently possible for a person walking through a field to stub his toe and look down and see the top of a jar sticking out of the ground and find there a treasure that someone else had buried. Notice in the story that the treasure was already there. The man did not design, manufacture, or produce it. The kingdom of heaven is not something we create, but something we encounter. The kingdom of heaven is not something we make, but something we discover. The kingdom of heaven is not something of our own doing, but something we come across, something we perceive, something we run into, something we participate in. Notice further that the man was not deserving. He did not work to earn the treasure. He stumbled into it. He did not strive to merit the treasure. He happened upon it. We might call it serendipity. 
or providence. We might call it happenstance or coincidence. We might even call it dumb luck. But we cannot call it an achievement, an attainment, or an accomplishment. It's more like a gift, a gift unanticipated and unearned, a gift unexpected and undeserved, a gift that finds its way to us. In other words, it's grace. In the parable about the pearl, the merchant searched intentionally, yet he did not locate the fine pearls he was seeking, but rather found something exceeding fine pearls, something surpassing fine pearls, something superlative to all other pearls. He did not earn or deserve the pearl of unequaled value. He just happened upon it as an unanticipated gift. In other words, it's grace. Both parables therefore indicate that the kingdom of heaven involves the discovery of grace. One person encounters it while going nowhere in particular, while another person comes upon it during a deliberate quest. Yet in both cases, the kingdom is grace to the undeserving. This is why Jesus was found eating with tax collectors, grace to the undeserving. This is why Jesus was found fellowshipping with notorious sinners, grace. To the undeserving. This is why Jesus was found teaching dense disciples grace to the undeserving. This is why Jesus was found instructing confused religious leaders grace to the undeserving. This is why Jesus was found saying that the prostitutes were entering the kingdom before the religious leaders were grace to the undeserving. And this is why Jesus was found crucified between two thieves, grace to the undeserving. When Jesus came near, grace happened to people. The kingdom happened to people. God happened to people. The 20th century pastor, John Claypool, told the story of a woman he knew named Gert. Gert had a father who was hostile to religion, so she grew up with no experience of church. She married three times, and each marriage ended in divorce. She had two sons who gave her all kinds of problems. Despite establishing a professional career, she became utterly dependent on alcohol, and one night, she took a huge amount of drugs and it landed her in the hospital. A couple of friends dropped by to check on her. One said, Gert, have you ever considered asking God into your life to help you with all that you're up against? She said angrily, I don't even believe that there is a God. I am sick unto death of all this religious talk. It's just a crutch. You make God sound like some kind of bellhop who will come and carry your bags for you. Her friend calmly replied, you know a crutch is a wonderful help when you're crippled and so is a bellhop when you have more baggage than you can carry. 
Later that night, Gert lay there in the hospital room, alone in the dark. She looked up at the ceiling and said, God, I don't even know whether you exist. I've never had anything to do with you. But if you do exist and you can help me, please, please come. And just then, when she least deserved it and least expected it, a warm light began to move toward her, enveloping her in a sense of love that she had never experienced before from anyone. She was given a sense that her life somehow mattered to the source behind all reality and that there was a meaningful future for her in spite of her past. The warm feeling lasted several minutes, and when it began to subside, she grabbed the phone and called her business manager and said, bring me a copy of the Holy Bible as quickly as you can. Her manager said, Gert, what has happened to you? She said, my God has happened to me. After the kingdom of heaven happens to us and we discover grace, the kingdom then transforms us. While the kingdom comes as a free gift, it demands total devotion. The man who discovered the hidden treasure appraised it so highly that he went and sold all he had to acquire the land so that he could lawfully obtain it. His value system was upended and his life was fundamentally altered after stumbling into the treasure. It became the driving force of his existence, his one consuming passion. The transformation of life is just as stark in the story of the matchless pearl. After finding it, the merchant sells all he has in order to obtain it. In other words, he liquidates his entire pearl business to get his hands on this one special pearl. As Bible scholar Amy Jill Levine observes, by finding that pearl of ultimate worth, the merchant stops being a merchant. The kingdom of heaven has redefined him. He is not the same. He has undergone a full-on metamorphosis. One of my good friends in college was a football player named Mata. He was big and tall, massively muscular, yet also fast and agile, an amazing athlete. He was recruited by top-tier programs, including Auburn, but chose to play at Furman, and he started on the defensive line as a true freshman. He had grown up in a rough neighborhood outside of Atlanta, where he was tough and tenacious, hard as nails. One time, Four gang members attacked him on the street, and he overpowered them all. Later, he discovered the kingdom of heaven, and it changed him dramatically. By the time I met him, Mata was a gentle giant and a joyful soul. He hugged people right and left. He laughed all the time. 
He shared his testimony. He led Bible studies. He prayed for people with a heart for intercession. He served and ministered. The kingdom had transformed him from a pugnacious teenager into a tender and caring man. The kingdom of heaven remakes us so that we are no longer what we once were. We see differently. We think differently. We talk differently. And we act differently. Indeed, the transformation that the kingdom of heaven brings is marked by the compulsion to action. After the man discovers the hidden treasure, action verbs proliferate. He goes, he sells, he buys. It's likewise with the merchant who finds the great pearl. He goes, he sells, he buys. These guys are busy. They are getting things done. Their activity is intentional, purposeful, driven, focused. The kingdom of heaven is like many things, but it is not like inertia. It is not like stagnation. The kingdom is more like a river than a puddle. The kingdom is more like a hummingbird than a slug. The kingdom is going and doing. The kingdom animates hands and feet. Maybe that's why the 20th century Baptist preacher Clarence Jordan translated the phrase uh, rendered kingdom of God in his own words as the God movement. There is certainly movement involved. Sometimes there's movement across continents. The 19th century Baptist Adoniram Judson left America to serve as a missionary to Burma, which is now known as Myanmar. Judson's activity there was constant, faithful, and purposeful. He learned to speak and write Burmese. He built a reception center for Burmese men, and he hosted them there. He compiled the first Burmese-English dictionary. He translated the Bible into Burmese. He practiced public evangelism. He helped establish approximately a hundred Baptist churches there. Judson was a running river of the kingdom, not a puddle. Judson was a hummingbird of the kingdom, not a slug. The kingdom of heaven compelled him to Christian action. And Judson is still often quoted for a conviction he expressed that kept him going in his mission work, that kept him going in his Christian action, even when he was persecuted, even when he was imprisoned, even when he was threatened with death. He said quite famously, the future is as bright as the promises of God. As Judson demonstrated, the action of the kingdom is bold. It's daring. It is downright risky. In both parables, the men sell all they have in order to obtain one thing. They unreservedly place every one of their eggs into the same basket. If the treasure becomes tarnished, there's no fallback. If the pearl gets destroyed, there's no contingency plan. There's no diversification of investment. There's no 
fail-safe. There's no holding back. These guys are all in, all the way, all the time for one thing. This is single-minded action. This is urgent action. This is purposeful action. This is bold action. This is costly action. And it's all worth it because there is no greater promise than the kingdom of heaven. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God had promised to bring forth an everlasting kingdom through a descendant in the line of King David. God said, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. This is the kingdom Jesus came to bring. This is the kingdom Jesus came to embody. This is the kingdom Jesus came to preach. The kingdom that lasts forever. In Matthew 26, he shared the bread and the cup with his followers. And he promised that on the other side of death, he would drink with them anew in his Father's kingdom. For this kingdom will not rust like even the best earthly treasure. This kingdom will not fade like even the finest earthly pearls. This kingdom will not crumble like even the mightiest earthly empires. This kingdom is not short-lived but long-term. This kingdom is not momentary but everlasting. This kingdom is not fleeting but eternal. This kingdom is not temporary but unending. This kingdom will endure into the ages of the ages. This kingdom will persist forever and ever and ever. And so we, even in troubled times, we who discover grace, we who undergo the transformation of life, we who are compelled to kingdom action can say with steadfast, relentless faith, the future is as bright as the promises of God. Amen.